Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended... For adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Um, dude, I still, like, I, I, I was just telling Yanni about this. Like, Colorado's a weird, like, from a hunting perspective, is a weird state. How so? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Okay. One, it's just a weird place, right? Because here, well, I'll get to the running into some old hippies out in the woods later. So there's like that kind of stuff. <laughs> but the main, the, the main, and I'll talk about that part of it. Um, the main thing that's weird to me is that you could have such like, like hodgepodge land ownership issues. Where, where, where it's just like such a weird mixture of little teeny bits of public and teeny bits of private, and it's real messy. And public inside private. Yeah, it's messy. And that there are so many people hunting. Well, and over so the many people bulldog. just out recreating out in the woods. But then, which is not normal, that's not weird at all. Like, that's just like normal, right? That's, you'd find that anywhere. Like, Confused land ownership and shitloads of people is like readily available in the United States of America. But you could have that, but also just have huge giant freaking bucks running around everywhere. Yeah, it's, I mean, like it, how? Because it's just good habitat everywhere you look. I mean, from, you know, the entire two th- western two thirds of the state is just mule deer habitat. Yeah, and I was going to say, too, <clears throat> you know, our buddy Jay's been checking out that new uh, ranch down in, like, south central, and it's a big ranch, 
and he feels like there might be like it's like a forty thousand acre ranch, and he feels like there might be fifty mule deer on the whole place. Poor habitat. So yeah. not quite the whole state, but like central, western, northwest. northwestern, northern. You know, a lot of mule deer habitat. It you is, you keep saying as we drive around, you're just like, I can't believe it. Every direction you look, you feel like there's a, just a great patch of woods that would hide mule deer. Yeah. When you get up on a high spot, you look anywhere. You, it's just like all mule deer. It's like all mule deer country. Yep. Full of dudes looking for deer. But I'll tell you what. But like, they don't, but that's but, not true. But they, can't, they don't get them all. There's still giant. Th- the fact that I spent, I don't know, 15 years trying to find a big buck in Montana. Maybe not 15. A, a ton of years trying to find like a just like a buck where you look and go like, holy shit, that's a big mule deer. You don't got to think about it. It's hard in Montana. Yeah. Then you get like somehow like in Idaho and Colorado. And if you, you see them every day. But we talked about this. Like Montana runs that late season and they're, e- they're easy to kill on November 20th, you know. Yeah. November 25th, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I would say when it comes to growing big, huge, giant bucks, if that's your goal, um, and I don't know, and I'm not saying it should be, because I like, like the Montana, I like the Montana system. You get a general tag, so you just go down to the gas station and buy your hunting license if you live there, or online if you don't, and you got, what, five, six weeks to hunt, including... Plus five or six weeks of ar- archery if you... If you want it, yep. you know. It's like, have at it, son. Go hunting. Including the rut. Yep. So, and I'm sure there's like genetic factors and habitat factors and severe winters and all that kind of stuff is playing into it too. But yeah, you can't be letting every Tom, Dick, and Harry go wandering around out in the woods during the mule deer rut and think that you're going to have bucks growing to be old, big old, huge bucks. And I don't really care because, you know, in that they they manage for opportunity. Yeah. They manage for opportunity. Colorado like isn't short on opportunity, but they get you get a week to hunt, not six weeks. You get a week, mm-hmm. and, and you got to pick your season. And whatever they're doing, it's just man. Remember too, Freaking I think big old bucks. Most I'm on these, a streak. I'm just glad you. Most of these units around here only have a couple hundred of these buck tags. Some units way less. That's the thing. Yeah. I think they should make a rule that you need to wear a certain kind of hat, a certain kind of orange hat, or a certain kind of flag on your hat if you're hunting elk, <laughs> and a certain kind of flag on your hat if you're hunting mule deer. Because if I'm hunting mule deer in my head, everybody's hunting mule deer. So anytime I see orange, which there is plenty to look at, like orange, blaze orange off the, you know, on the other side of the valley or canyon from you. I look and I'm like, that son of a gun. he's hunting mule deer. But I'm like, oh, he's probably hunting elk. And if you had a little flag system, then you'd know who you were hated and who you didn't really hate. Who you could go talk to and say, hey, I, no- I noticed you're elk hunting. You see any big bucks around? Yeah. And I could be like, just so happens, I was looking at a couple bulls mm-hmm. that once I started doing a little map reading, I realized those bulls are on public land. And I'll tell you about it if you tell me about the bucks you've seen. But if a guy's on Mueller, I'm not going to go talk to him because I'm going to lie to him. He's going to lie to me, and no one's going to get anything out of that. He'll be like, see any bucks? Uh-uh. You? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, this unit sucks. <laughs> saw a little one two miles off. Yeah, I saw one back toward the truck. So, all right, we got to back up now. We got to get into Yanni's, how he's dying, 
And we got to get into that, huh? You don't want to cover that? No, we can. I'm comfortable covering it. Yeah. But you should introduce your guests. Yeah. So, Yanni. <laughs> Yanni, the Lavine Eagle, Putellis, and Brody Henderson. Say something for yourself, Brody. I love big bucks. Yeah, and you cannot lie. <laughs> um, Brody Henderson, who lives, who lives um, not terribly too far from here. That's vague. Yeah. Lives not terribly too far from here. We're nowhere near the I-70 corridor this year. No, and Brody lives in the land of big, giant bucks. But we're not even near there. No. Just to make sure you understand that we're not at Brody's, we were sitting in a little log cabin that is not owned by Brody. And if Brody lived by here, we'd be sitting in his house. That's right. So think about that before you try to get all sneaky, figuring out what's going on. But we come down here. I have a mule deer tag. We're down here taking Me and Yanni are down here taking care of various pieces of business. And um, got a few days. We had how many days to hunt? Three. Four. Four. It was well, supposed mi- to be four. You missed one. Missed one. For something a, I'm not one. even going to. If Yanni wants to talk about how that happened, he can go ahead, but I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> a paperwork problem. Forgot some paperwork at home. Important pieces of paperwork having to do with whether or not you're allowed to go hunting or not. Um, so lost a little time there. And then... Go out on a then we get into our zone and go out on the evening hunt. And we have a friend who's been hunting this area for a long time. And this friend's got a spot he hunts. He hunts this he hunts a, a ranch primarily in some in some public land that comes up against his ranch, but he's hunting there. And we're not wanting to crowd him. And he knows the area pretty well. And so he throws us a couple tips about what we ought to be doing. And as a nice gesture too, he actually hikes back into a little glass and tit he likes and does a prelim check before we show up. And he goes up there and, and uh, finds, I think he found 15 does from this glass and tit. This guy's strategy, and he's, he's, a, he's a very successful uh, big giant buck hunter. This guy's strategy is he, well, Brody, can you explain the first, second, third, fourth and all that? Yeah, so Colorado has four different rifle seasons. First rifle season usually runs somewhere like October 10th through the 15th. That's elk only. Then It's five days long. Every five year. days. Then there's second season, which starts a week after the end of first rifle. Mm-mm. Days. No, that, that one's only a couple days. Yeah, That's right. it ends on a Wednesday, and the next one picks up on Saturday. So that one runs nine days. Then there's a week gap between second and third, and, and third usually runs somewhere around the first nine days of November-ish, somewhere, somewhere right in there. And then fourth season picks up a couple days after third rifle ends, and that's a five-day season. But there's, all, like, to help people understand that, because there might be thinking, like, oh, so you can only hunt one week. Talk about all the tags you have and what they're all good for. Um, I had a third season buck tag, so I just I killed a buck a few days ago. Um, nice buck too. Yep, pretty good one. And then I have a fourth season bull tag, which starts next week. 
And then I have a late season cow tag, which uh, that runs for a month, like December 15th to January 15th. And then you're walking around the black bear tag that's good for like a whole long time. Right. That They have this like, the they just changed this a couple of years ago. You can buy an over-the-counter with caps, which means there's X number of over-the-counter bear tags available. And if you have, say you have a buck tag for third rifle season, and you buy one of those over-the-counter bear tags, that bear tag is actually good for all four rifle seasons in the unit you have a deer or elk tag for. Huh. And then there's a separate like rifle bear season basically the whole month of, of uh, September, which is a different tag. And then do you uh, did you do your mountain lion certification so you're a certified mountain I lion did. hunter? I did. I'm going to pack a mountain lion tag around during that, that uh, late season cow tag hunt who knows maybe i'll see one so the third third season if we're just focusing on mule deer here well elk elk are rutting during first and second first they're like the tail end of the rut would be during first rifle okay um mule mule deer third rifle mule deer is like what i would call like pre-rut yes Cause like real close to the actual rut, and fourth, which there aren't that many, like no. fourth season mule deer tags are hard to come by. Yes, because it's rut. Yep, third and they, season, and they don't issue very many. They're very tight with those. Yeah, it might be like, like instead of being two hundred, it might be like what ten to twenty five. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna set my sights for. Is saving yeah. up enough points to get a fourth season. That would be like hunting in Montana for big bucks on November twentieth. Yes, you know. Um. So anyhow, this guy that that, that that gives us some intel, some hunting info. He is uh, he really likes to hunt the third season, and the third season, depending on the weather, can be like real ruddy. His hunting strat, his the way he finds mule deer, is he hunts. He says, "I hunt does." Now, by that he doesn't mean that he's shooting at does. By that he means that he is locates every little group of does he can find. And sometimes big groups of does. Sometimes big groups of does. And wakes up every morning and goes around and checks all those groups of does. Because the bucks are like, the does are going to be there in their little configurations, kind of like consistently. consistently. But the bucks are like, the hand, the deck of cards gets shuffled every night. So he checks those does, waiting to see who's going to show up, knowing that these big groups of does, even if they got a little buck with them, he knows that a big buck is going to find those does. So he finds bucks by watching does. He tells us about a little glass and tit that had some does by it, some on public, some on private. Our first night, we go in there and right away find the five Five does on private. No, they were on five public. does on public. They're only like 150 yards from us. But the stuff around us is like real thick, giant sage. So it's you could have 300 deer walking around there, but you're not going to see them unless they happen to step in these little teeny openings. But we got some where we know there's some... You meant to say giant uh, pinging pine and juniper, right? No, that sage in the bottom. That real tall, old sage down oh. the bottom. That, that sage is six feet high. Yeah, you're right. So, but here and there's little little grass patches in the sage, and you happen to catch a deer out in one of those, and you just realize, man, there's a million places you could put more deer, and I wouldn't know they were there. So 
when I say there's five, you don't know really what's going on. There's just five that happen to be mingling around in a grass patch in the middle of all this sage, which hides deer real good. But what we're seeing is lots of deer, lots of elk on the private. And where you're at, it's like, if you imagine if you could just shoot, like imagine you could shoot a laser at any land feature around you. I would say that 50% of those laser shots are going to hit private land. If you had a laser pointer, right? And you're just like, I don't know, there. There's a 50% chance that there is going to be private and a 50% chance there is going to be public. You agree? Agree. And there's a lot of mapping technology out there where you can kind of look at overlays to see what's what. And you realize that from the spot, you're looking at, we're looking at deer... We're glassing up a bunch of deer and some elk that are on private land. And we're glassing up deer that are on public, but you would not be able to walk from your public patch to that public patch. Because between there is a big barrier of private land. Yeah, you couldn't do it in a straight line. You'd have to make a J and you starting at the point of the J and go backwards first, swing yeah. around some private and then Big go. Circ- you couldn't do it in that you couldn't do it in that hunt. Probably, probably not. Like in an evening hunt. Yeah, but you couldn't. Because No, evening hunt definitely not. In an evening Morning hunt, hunt, if all of a sudden it gets start starts to feel kinda like evening like, which I always know the minute it happens just just like internally the I'm light like, changes. It just became yeah. evening, I just know. And all of a sudden there's deer. Um you could feasibly beeline it to them, but you have to go around, get on the road, go out to a highway, and hike in two miles to get deer right in front of you. But if you saw a monster, you could come up with some kind of plan to get there later. Well, that was our plan. Yeah. That we would glass up a biggin, and then the next day go in there and put the sneak out yep but what happened was we glassed up a biggin that was just 100 percent absolutely like not on public land and wasn't likely to become on public land he's probably a mile away right yeah not for a while what do you mean not for a while him coming on to public land oh you know? well he's yeah probably I'll- gonna take some sort of change in the weather sure i mean what i'm saying is i wasn't going to go and like make that my morning plan no with a short yeah you got a short amount of time because i would need to i'm trying to explain like this tit that we're on and how this tit that we're on works is that the chances of you actually taking a poke from the tit are slim yeah there is a small piece of public that I mean, we're almost perched on the edge of the public looking at a lot of private. Oh, and at dusk, that's right. And at dusk, we glass up another biggin who was very easily walk toable. But we only, by looking at my GPS, we had 460 yards of public in front of us. And that buck was at 640. Yep. And not, not looking in our direction, but going, watching those the other direction. Yeah. So, and that buck would have been nearly impossible to go after. Yeah. There's no way you could have gotten up on a little perch to try to shoot down in there at him. He'd have been very difficult to chase after. 
Am I setting the stage here? You are. I think you described the situation well. And yeah, if you sat there for seven days on that little Eventually. tip, and you were like, I'm just going to shoot. I just want a meat buck. I'm here for a meat buck. I'm going to send this tit. You would probably every couple days get a meat buck. Yeah, because those does were right there hanging out. Yeah, it would be like, it would happen. Spend your it was day. frustrating with me, for me when I showed up because we went back into that spot. I went in with you guys the next morning was we were looking at shitloads of deer, but most of them you're like, well, I can't hunt those deer. Yeah, you drives know? me crazy. And looking at deer's fun. But and then you you glass up another big one, yeah. That was indisputably on private, yeah. not fixing the leave private, yeah. But we're looking at um the public land deer that you would have to go after another day. We were looking at over a dozen. Oh yeah, yeah. With bucks, yep. With meat bucks, yep. But here, if, here too, my freezer is jam packed. <laughs> I'm like. You know, I like to hunt meat bucks, but I was not, and I was, these couple, these last few days, I have not been meat buck hunting. I'm you like have been okay going home with that one. Yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking for that one in a hundred, yeah. you know, like buck where you're like, oh my gosh, look at that buck, like that's the buck that you gotta, you need to be a, like have a special set of circumstances allow you, you know. Yeah. That's like the buck you, you strive to learn how to find, you know. The next morning, we go back to the same tip, and the same thing happens. Oh, another thing happened that was interesting is at one point, I see a deer. Like, if you're glassing mule deer and, and observing them, you can tell a lot about what is around those deer by reading their body language. And, and a lot of times, you'll find bucks by watching does because does are nervous around bucks during the rut. So a lot of times you'll see all the does like just being very fixed, staring into some little hellhole brush patch or something, and they don't like it, and they're always looking in there. And after a while, you might start staring in there with a spot and scope and find what it is they're annoyed by, and it's a buck. You find a lot of bucks like that because the does will be up feeding around. They're kind of like more, a little more freewheeling about how they expose themselves and how much time they spend out feeding. And the bucks... They don't get to be big giant bucks by getting shot. So there's a certain amount of like stealthiness that goes into being a big giant buck. And I don't think that it's, I think it's a little bit learned. And I think it's a little bit like if they were not that way, they'd be dead. So I think that there's some that just are skittish. Like when you, when you scare a mule deer and a mule deer is running away, eight out of 10 mule deer are going to stop. If they're going to crest the ridge and be gone, they stop and look back. They're kind of like, do I really need to run this far? Like, is this thing really seriously threatening me? Bucks that do that don't live to be big, giant bucks. Bucks that, like, decide that I'm just going to run over the ridge, just never stop running, and run way away from here before I stop. Or sneak, just creep out of there. Or, yeah, or the real, the ones that are really born with a gift don't run with the does. Yep. The does book, and they make a big show out of how they're booking, and then they get on the ridge top and stop and look back, but that buck has taken some completely different route through a bunch of, like, brush without really running but kind of, like, trotting along, and he's just like, see you, ladies. I'll catch you after dark. (laughs) 
those bucks become big giant bucks. What? Or the ones that live behind a private fence post for most of their lives. Yeah. There's diff- yeah, there's different ways. You could probably be a dumb buck who's always <laughs> out. Yeah. A dumb buck who likes to always be out in an alfalfa field eating. But if there's no hunting, he's going to, yeah, he might be just fine. Um, oh, what I was getting at is I'm watching this doe and I can't figure out why she is looking at. So if you see a doe staring at something, it's like, you know, there's something there that it doesn't like or it's staring at a buck and she just. But I see this doe with the look of a doe that's like annoyed and concerned about something's presence near her, but she's walking forward. Like she's walking at her object of interest. And that caught my attention. So I'm staring at her with a spotting scope and I realize that she's chasing a bobcat. Not chasing it, but like like making sure it pushing it. Yeah, where it is. I'm keeping tabs on you. Just kinda like a like a like an old lady like yelling at some neighborhood kid, you know, like following him along, sort of like like escorting him out of the area. This bobcat. Uh, so that happened. Big bobcat? I got a question. I, c- for I you. couldn't I couldn't judge him. I can't judge way off bobcats. Do, do you have you ever seen mule deer stomp their feet like whitetails do? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did she do that at all? Oh, um, have I? God, I feel like I have. Seen I feel like they don't, feet. but maybe maybe they do. Well, they blow. I, it yeah. took me a long time to figure that. Yeah. But you know how a whitetail oh, yeah. just stand there and stomp their feet. Man, I want to say that I've seen them stomp their feet, but the more I think about, it, I can't think of an exact. Can you, Yanni? I can't think of an exact man. Dude's gonna be writing in like a bad. Dude's gonna be writing in like a bat out of hell about this, man. I kind of feel like they don't, but we'll find out. Oh, if they do, it's not as it's not as much yeah. as, as white tails. I made the mistake one time saying how you know how uh, antelope go under fences and not over. Well, it's, some go over fences, yeah. right? So people hate. Uh, I think there's people that don't like generalities and there's people that just want to be helpful yeah per se yeah antelope like to go under fences yeah but there's no absolute then you're gonna right. get 10 videos of antelope going <laughs> over fences yeah pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company picture this okay you wake up you got a scratchy throat you're all congested you got a runny nose you got a cough whatever and you weigh your options like you tough it out get sick take time off work try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks or you open your medical emergency kit you match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away these medical emergency kits not a first aid kit all right it comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues so on hand strong antibiotics for infections of all types plus a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when no waiting to see the doctor no waiting at the pharmacy it's all in there every home should have at least one medical emergency kit order yours online in minutes your kit will be rushed to your door get 15 percent off at twc.com 
slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. So Brody has to, after our second, so we did an evening sit on the the frustrating, I'm going to call it frustration tit. (laughs) Did an evening sit on frustration tit. Did a morning sit with Brody, me, Giannis, Brody, on Frustration Tit. Brody has a split late morning, mid-morning. And me and Yanni have decided that we're going to travel into a new area. And the land ownership where we are is so screwy that we almost like travel through what I would describe as a channel of public land. That opens up to a bunch of public. It opens up to a bunch. But we realized from our tit, from frustration tit, we thought we had to go back out, like hike the short hike back out to the road, hop in a rig, go down the road, and re-access. But you get to look, and you're like, there's like a little channel of a, a, a narrow wedge of land that you can sort of traipse through to through hit. Some steep stuff. Yeah, it was not, yeah, it was not fun walking. To get up into a big area of open public and start traps through there see a doe and a fawn unit a doe fawn unit in there hike up get to talking about arrowheads and whatnot 
get up to the top and find a sweet looking area that you could only hunt with a hot air balloon. Or still hunting techniques. Or if you had good, wet ground, you could still hunt it. Because you're always seeing these little like 100-yard, 150-yard open aspen patches, but you never are getting like the commanding view that I like. Is that where you saw the moose? Right yeah, there? Yeah, I saw a moose. Like, like we snuck in on him. Close enough we? to shake hands. <laughs> I couldn't see it. It was like one of those situations where I'm looking at it, but I wasn't like comprehending right. it. Yep. I remember, um, uh, I can never, how, how's he, how, the, the, the aft writer, Tom McIntyre? No. Yeah. McIntyre is how he says his name. Mm-hmm. I was, I didn't want to mess his name up. He's talking about hunting, being in Africa one time. And the guy's with, the guide he's with, all of a sudden stopping him. And he's like, you know, there's an elephant. He's like, I look and look, I can't see an elephant. Like, nowhere I look, I just see trees. Right. Tree trunks. <laughs> And he realizes that that's an elephant. Like one of the tree trunks. <laughs> that he's, as he's peering under the brush, like one of the tree trunks is like a leg of an elephant. So the moose was just standing still. Yeah, but, but yeah, he's like, right there, right there. And I, I don't know what I was looking for, but I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, the, the moose standing there. Like, little shit moose. He was obscured, but. um, Saw some rabbit sign. Went through some real nice open aspen grovey kind of stuff. Entered into just a hellhole where it was a lot more like timber. Noisily bushwhacked through this timber. Yeah, that's some nasty stuff up there. Didn't like that at all. Squirted a bunch of mule deer out ahead of us. I didn't like that at all. And then bust out into, and I could see it on my map, bust out into the like most picturesque gigantic sage flat meadow like high elevation sage flat yeah it was like 97 yeah wasn't it 97 9700 feet yeah something like that and and the first thing i say is like like talk about like a glass is half empty we're like holy shit this is like amazing up here and I'm like, yeah, but everybody know about this spot. <laughs> this has got to be like the spot everybody walks to. Look at it. It's amazing. And even though we just kicked some deer out, I'm like all down on it because it looks too good. And if it looks too good, there must be a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But I think at that point, we were probably getting on to being three miles from the rigs, from a road, yeah. from a trail. So, And that's... It's like straight line miles. There was yeah. a lot of up and down. Yeah. In there. And we had climbed over a thousand feet. So yeah. I was feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, you knew. I was being pessimistic about it, about the meadow. We're going to call it the meadow. It's like an, an elk and deer playground almost up there. Like it looks perfect. Yeah, just as a bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. I later had occasion to sleep on that meadow and I was laying in a <laughs> bed. My Instead of I had a sleeping pad, I didn't need it because I was laying in a bed of elk dropping. <laughs> So we just cross this thing and get to where we're overlooking and, and you cross the sage flat and you wind up overlooking this big canyon that Brody had told us about. Well, you, had you go up there hunting rabbits or were you hunting deer? When you I'd been it? up there deer hunting before and grouse hunting. Rabbits down, down low, down by where the rig was. Oh, and you tracked a lion and a bear through there. Yep. Yep. So Brody told us about this, this bitchin' uh, canyon full of aspens. 
that's good glassing. So we get to the edge of that, and by this time, it's like the evening hunt. And I perch up on the edge. And before I even perch up on the edge, I realize there's two deer down below me. And they feed up towards us, and it turns into a three-pack of does, feeds up toward us. I sit down and just start watching for more deer, and pretty soon I pick up 20 does and a nice, not a, not a big giant buck, but a nice buck. And Yanni's like, I'm going to go uh, do a little scout up and down canyon. Yeah, I just want to make sure there was like no real nice vista that we were missing. Yeah. Did the thing did the weird shooting occasion happen before or after that? Before. Were you sitting by me for the weird shooting yes. thing? Yes. Okay, so the, a little bit of a weird shooting thing. Earlier I was talking about how Colorado's weird and there's always people around. When we're on the edge of, when we're on this canyon rim, glassing the bottom of the canyon and the other side, like you could see the other side was like kind of public but mostly private. Yeah, and canyon might be a little bit misleading. Big draw. Because I start to think about Grand Canyon when you say canyon, but there's no real like exposed steep rock cliffs in this canyon. It's just like a a steep valley, Um, but it's like there's nowhere where you can't climb down and climb right back up the other side. Sure, that's fair. If you're fit, and it's too, you couldn't shoot across it. Yeah, it's a big one, too far to shoot across. But right when we get up on our little perch, where we're going to start just observing what's going on below us, Yanni picks up. Two dudes perched up on the opposing canyon wall. I didn't know that. Valley wall. Yeah, I told you the story. Across that big aspen draw. Across it, but higher up valley than us are two pumpkins. And when I say pumpkins, I mean dudes wearing hunter's orange. There's two pumpkins. And then a while later, we realized there's another pumpkin below them with an orange cowboy hat. And Yanni commented how he has a blaze orange cowboy hat. And I speculated that it might be one of those covers that you can put. I think there's like, <laughs> I'm like, I said, I bet it's an orange cover. If he has an actual blaze orange cowboy hat, I like that shit a lot. Yeah. But I, I think mean, it's, that's what Steve wears too when he's in Colorado. When you're in Colorado, <laughs> you wear a big cowboy hat and you put the orange cover over it. That's how we do it. So, See, a cowboy hat would have got me thinking about what kind of hunter it was. Yes. It, listen, my friend Ronnie Bame has a maxim. Never wear a hat that has more personality than you do. Right. That is why I wear baseball hats. Yep. Not flat brim to baseball no, hats. No. Definitely not a flat brim hat. <laughs> and I definitely keep my ears outside of the hat band. How do you feel about these stormy chromers that we like to wear? I was going to bring that up. They work well. I don't have that much personality. <laughs> they, work, they work well for you guys. I, yeah, but to stick to Ronnie Bames, Maxim, I wear just baseball hats. See, I feel like or the Stormy Cromer is almost a baseball hat. It's real close. Right? Isn't that how the story goes? It's written on the inside of the hat. Yeah. The dude was wearing a baseball hat, but his ears were cold. And his, so wife, his wife sewed, yeah. sewed on an extra flap. Yeah. They're nice. Well, I do wear the first light brim beanie. Yeah. Which is a radar hat. That's like a trimmed down version yeah, of a I have Stormy that, Cromer. I have that level of person. I, I have the personality to support that hat. I do not have the personality to support a blaze orange cowboy hat. <laughs> I want to see don't. it. <laughs> so, so there's two guys up high, and we're having a conversation about whether or not these, these groups, the one-man group and the two-man group, are affiliated. Okay, yeah. Like, no, are they associates or not? And all of a sudden, blouch! One of them <laughs> shoots 
one of them shoots like from his canyon wall like apparently shooting over to our zone but not our zone because we're down valley but he's like shooting from his canyon wall across canyon so those guys are like damn near a mile away probably right? no no not no. that far i could have walked over there in 15 minutes half oh, okay. mile yeah and he was one of them was down low enough down that he could he could shoot across yeah so it's like blouch and i'm like jeez and i look through my binos and i can't tell what the cowboy hat dude's doing he's kind of like fidgeting around in some brush but the two guys above there are just transfixed with binoculars to their eyes staring across canyon not even budging and i'm like they didn't it, they didn't shoot because they couldn't have gotten in the positions they're in that fast. It must have been the lower guy that shot. So I start watching him, anticipating that he's gonna, you know, run down, do something dramatic, and like, you know, usually a single shot's a good sign, right? Well, a couple seconds later, he just picks up his rifle and walks <laughs> back up the hill. Like, no, <laughs> he wasn't. He didn't go over to check for blood. I don't know. I have no idea what. Clean miss. He, they kind of like, he starts headed up towards the other guys. And I'm like, okay, so they are associates. They drift off and toward the setting sun. And that's when I see a deer coming. I'm like, oh, those jokers are spooking deer. But I realize that's not the case. And out comes this just string of freaking does. And they come out and start feeding. And there's a nice buck and a, and a dink, and what I later learned was a dinker buck because they were fighting for a lot. The two bucks are fighting for a long time. Yanni goes to take a look around. Tell what happened on your little odyssey. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I left just to see if we could get a, a if there was a better vantage of this uh, Aspen Canyon. And so I kind of, we you had perched maybe like 20, 10 yards down off the rim. Mm-hmm. And so I popped back up on the rim. And I go, not 50 yards up canyon and all of a sudden i'm looking at a doe and i look to my peripheral and there's a forked horn another doe and probably like a pretty spindly but i don't know two or three year old four by four you know like a buck that gets your attention but you're like nah probably not today you know and uh they kind of see me kind of don't and they get close enough where i could have shot with my bow so it's a nice little nice little uh encounter a little wildlife moment i go farther up don't see much else don't see a better vista turn around come back and walk all the way past where steve's sitting and uh start to look over more of the canyon and uh i think i saw between looking down in the canyon and then doing a little loop another two does and another fork and horn and no more mugs no mug well way off in the distance but I was oh. almost, I was almost assuming it might have been the same guys that had left and they had just you know done a loop and then pop popped out lower in the can because it was yeah, the other two guys could, standing. You together. could glass up this over on private. You could glass up this little cabin that had all kinds of trucks parked around. Mm-hmm. They they were headed down down canyon. Yeah, yeah. And just as some foreshadowing, boy, did those boys get some shooting <laughs> in later. Just as foreshadowing, so. Yanni comes back. And yeah, then, we got like an hour left when I get back to Steve. It's yeah, prime time. And you, and you say, I'm all geeked out about these doles that are way far away. And you say, um, there's not enough time. Even if we were to find a big giant buck, there's not enough time to put a move on them. Anyways, let's take our little bit of to daylight. To over the backside. And just do a little, because it's a real nice trail. Yeah. Do a little still hunt 
down this trail since we know there's a bunch of deer starting to pop up top here. And we're going along nice and easy. And it starts getting like borderline. Find some of the deer again first. Mm-hmm. Find some of the deer you saw again. Keep moving, marveling at how amazing this area is up here. And all of a sudden, spook some deer. It's kind of like borderline too dark. Probably like borderline legal, end of legal shooting light. Like within minutes of the end of legal shooting light. Well, I mean, I was watching the clock because I definitely wanted to get to those, like to where I knew we could look over into those sage flats. And we had about 15 minutes left. And it's the kind of light with it. With your naked eye, yeah, you're probably not seeing real well. But, you know, with optics, you could eat cleanly kill an animal. No problem. Yeah, well, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about whether I could have because I've been in a lot of situations where you could cleanly kill animals way outside of legal shooting light with optics. Oh, because of moon or something? Snow. Snow, moon. moon yeah. Could, Anyways, we were within, I was watching. We were within you got a full moon minutes. and snow on the ground. It's like <laughs> round the clock. That's true. So anyhow, we jump. I hear noise and see flashes of deer. And Yanni runs ahead to try to get a look at him before he get away and sees. Yeah, they had kind of bailed off this edge. And so I run down the trail maybe, I don't know, 40, 50 yards, thinking I'll catch him just down below because I'd have been there just an hour earlier, and there's a big sage flat. Well, this was, you know, now harking back to how we were talking about bucks that grow to be big <laughs> and old is these, there's, I think, a doe and two bucks. I think, again, it's pretty pretty dark. A buck and two does. Throw in the other buck to, to, to explain no, two why. two bucks and a doe. Two yeah, bucks and a doe. But ex- in this, talk about the buck who is not a contender to grow into a big old giant buck. All right, because, well, yeah. <laughs> Just throw I'll, that in. I'll come back to him. But these two, uh, quickly put binoculars on, they have already made up probably... 200 yards, I'm guessing, yeah. maybe more. And I mean, they are just flat out. There's no starting. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically when they prong, they, when they're hopping. Bounce. They are just like flat, ears pinned back, like rumps low, just burning sage. And they're like, I, I catch them in my binos and a half a second later, they're into the timber. And I just remember seeing like no antlers, a whole bunch of antlers, and then a little bit less antlers on the rear one. I'm like, holy shit. They're in here, but we just bumped them. Then Steve catches up to me, and we're overlooking the sage flat. He's like, oh, there's another deer, you know? I'm like, yeah, keep looking, keep looking. Maybe there's more. And, uh, yeah, he's not a contender for getting old because what was he? he was was a, he just a fork and a Yeah, one? a forky who's like, meh. Yeah, what's everybody <laughs> running for? <laughs> How are you like, guys doing? He's like, ah, I'm not going to get all excited about these guys coming through here with a gun. Those guys look like trophy hunters. <laughs> what could possibly happen to me? So he's not, he doesn't have that special little thing. But maybe it takes time. Maybe that it, dude will get paranoid. That Yeah, so that, I was trying to, yeah, I tried to add that in earlier that some of it's learned. Yeah. He, that uh, you have a handful of your buddies get shot out from next to you, and it probably starts to instill in you yep. some of that paranoia. Then we just take a hike in the walk. Then we take a long hike in the dark. And my only comment on the hike was that throughout the day we'd climbed over a long period of time quite a long ways. And once you condense it all into just a, a, a late night in the dark 
march down the hill. It seemed like we were traveling downhill longer and farther than I ever imagined we'd gone up. So we did a big loop. Yeah, you had me worried because it's like, man, it took like two hours to get down. I'm like... 90 minutes. 90 minutes. But we were like practically running down the damn hill. And then we hit the we hit the road... And had a ways to hike back. 1.7 miles from the truck. But when you said it took 90 minutes to get down, I was like, I don't well, we got a ever taken around. that long to get up. We got a little turned around in the dark. Neither of us had ever been here before. It's yeah. dark. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's not and, the it's not the best trail. There's a few, it winds there's around. A, there's a few spots. It, well, you guys did it in the in the light today. So d- can you follow it? Really? Yeah, but what happens there's was, a couple spots where it. Yeah, what happens with trails is, uh, tra- like when you're on a trail, the trails are usually good in the shitty areas, and you get in the good areas, and people just fan out. Yeah. So every time that trail hits a meadow, people are just like they kind of scatter, and then you got to. Yeah, because that's the spot where you can actually talk to your buddy and walk with it. So, yeah, your buddy walks up next to you and you guys talk about what you're doing. Yeah, and then you got to get to the end of the meadow and you got to, like, pace around trying to find out how the trail leads. Yep. And there's some false trails. And and we got off in the dark on a dry wash thinking we were on a trail and weren't on a trail. We are on a dry wash. And eventually come down, find a little creek to get some water because we are out of water. There's five 270 cartridges laying there. Which, I have no idea. Some dude, I don't know. Some dude crouched down to get some water and, and dumped out his pocket full of ammo. I don't know. Five two seventy shells laying there. Looked like Remington core locks. Were they still there when you came back? Yep. I stuck them all nose into the mud. Made like a little uh, installation art with them in the mud. Except some guy with a horse must have kicked them over because three of them were laying off. But they're still there. Um, Hit the road. And then Yanni walks... It was 1.7 miles and gets the rig and comes back and fetches me. Now, we're staying in a little cabin, and we make a plan. We set our alarms for 3.45 a.m., right? Mm-hmm. And Brody, you were going to come yep. and meet us. Yep. And... No, you weren't. You had bailed. You had to take the kids in. Oh, that's right. No, he had bailed. Yeah. Set our alarms for 3.45 a.m. so that we can get back up in the zone before it gets light out. Up on our perch. Canyon perch. But all night, I'm not sleeping well because Yanni's just rummaging around. And eventually, I'm like, what's going on? And he's having like a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't having a heart attack, thank goodness. But talk about your problem. This is going to be like an episode of Oprah because we're going to talk about like uh, you having like a health scare and the triumph of finding out what was going on. Mm-hmm. But we still, it's more we like, uh, unfortunately, who's that, we don't have who's that, like, who's that guy that is always like, oh, yo, take some rhubarb extract. It'll cure that. Garrett? No, Dr. Oz. No, I was thinking Dr. Oz. Go ahead. This is like a Dr. Yeah. Oz episode. Garrett probably give us some of that tincture that he likes to put on his tongue when he's everybody's sick around him. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been dealing with these symptoms for, I don't know, 5 to 15 years. 15 years ago was the first time I remember having something that where I was in Belize um, with my wife before we got married. Angling. Angling, 
doing some bonefish angling, staying at my buddy's uh, place who owns the Blue Water Grill down there on, uh, what's that call, key called? Ambergris. Ambergris, yeah. If you're ever down there, it's the only place you need to go eat. Go to the Blue Water. And um, Hold on real quick. Brody, did you used to guide down there? No, I just fished down just there fished a bunch. Down there. Yeah. Brody used to do some uh, hosted trips. Yeah. Yeah, I hosted some. You know? Yep. Down okay. there. Um. Yeah, so we I'd been angling in the hot sun, possibly gotten dehydrated or whatever, and I sort of had a uh, like a fluttering heart feeling, maybe like a missed beat, something along those lines, and um, I couldn't kick it, and so I ended up going to the doctor down there in Belize, which like was it's kind of scary in of itself, and just because you're in another country. <laughs> yeah, they speak English though. Yeah, and um, they couldn't really you know, say what it was. They're like, you should go check it out. They gave me something to calm me down. I was fine. And, uh, when I got home, went and get my heart checked out, had the EKG. I can't remember what other tests they ran and said I was fine. No, no problems. So like 10 years probably went by. And, um, one night just wake up in the middle of the night and sort of have like a increased heart rate. And again, sort of this like fluttering heart feeling. And, uh, when stuff's going wrong with your heart, man, yeah, that's that got to get your attention. itself, again, is not that, like, there's no pain associated. It's yeah. not scary. No, but I'm no doctor. I'm no doctor. Mm-hmm. But I know that when your heart stops. You're an author. <laughs> there's when a hitch heart, in your giddy When up. your heart stops working, that's not good. No. And if you can feel it. Yeah, so it, it, it makes, like, some, like, an, an immense amount of uh, anxiety when you feel that, you know? But there's no, like I said, there's no pain associated with it, you know? It's like, it's funny because I've had a lot of injuries over the years and, you know, I've had both knees blown out and fixed in the last few years and none of that stuff really makes me nervous because you're just like, whatever, it's like bones and muscle and it's like, it ain't going to kill me, right? But when your heart's fluttering, you're thinking, what's next? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, it might kill me. Right. So, uh, but until the, up until two nights ago, I'd always just calm myself down, walk around, make a phone call to my wife. It's always seemed that sort of like talking to people or in, engaging somehow sort of takes my mind off of it and I, I would get rid of the flutter, you know, because it would be like a, every three or four breaths at the end of an exhale, you just feel like this little like extra doo-doo, just enough to be like, what, the, what was that? What the fuck? <laughs> What was that, you know? Yeah, for sure. And um, so, th- so the other night, it happened twice. We went to bed at like 9, early, and like 10, I wake up, I'm feeling it. I'm like, fuck. Well, Jennifer's at home butchering, <laughs> butchering my deer <laughs> that I had left her. <laughs> so she's been sending me texts like, uh, what about this and what about that? So I knew she was up, so I called her. And, you know, so she's chatting me up and kind of talking me down and, it goes away. It's fine. I'm like, all right, cool. I need to get some sleep. We're getting up in like freaking three hours or something. So go back to sleep. And at 2 a.m., wake up, same thing. And I don't know still to this day, like, what's the, um, like, what causes it? Like, what, what, what's the, what kicks it off, right? We're sleeping in a small cabin. Steve's got too many logs on the fire. It's like a sauna in here, so it's hard to sleep. My body might be stressed from that. We did a pretty big hike. So I could have been, you know, tuckered out or, or um, just uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? You know, just after some strenuous activity. Just yeah, talkered. Yeah. D- d- like, in the past, does it happen, like, mostly at night when you're Always. sleeping? One time I had a um, during-the-day uh, episode. I was actually elk, elk or deer hunting in Montana a couple of years ago. And uh, same thing, I kind of just started going back down the hill and got my mind off it. And by the time I got to the truck, uh, it had gone away, and I ended up actually just driving to a different, different trailhead and going hunting for the evening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, two nights, twice in one night, and I had had enough. So I've been there multiple times where I'm like, man, I should just go to the doctor right now, go to the hospital, and get it checked out. So I'm sitting here. It's like 2.30 in the morning. Because you want to catch it. You want to catch it where the doctor can actually see. Right. Because you couldn't even tell. You were even entertaining the idea that it's just something that exists in your head. Yeah, right. Because it's so minor, you know. And this, like, after now talking to the cardiologist um, PA, I can now back that up. Because she's saying that, like, so, well, we'll get back to that. Um, I, at 2.30 in the morning, I'm like, yeah, Steve, I kind of feel like I want to go to the hospital. Steve's like, well, let's fucking go. I'm like, all right, let's go. It's about time. So we drive to the nearest hospital. I proposed the hospital. Visit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, well. Yeah, I was just curious to see what's happening to you. Yeah. But I think I had said that, like, I'm kind of, like, thinking about, anyways, that's not important. Yeah, because I just had, go, I just had a morbid curiosity. I just wanted to have, I just wanted to know. You wanted to go nap in a <laughs> hospital chair for a couple hours. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> As I'm sitting there, all hooked up to the machines, they're like, uh, "Yeah, you're all set. If you want your, you know, buddy to come in and hang out with you, that's fine." I'm like, "No, nah, he doesn't need to." He's like, "Yeah, well, he's, he's sleeping out there anyway, so he probably shouldn't wake him up." <laughs> um, so yeah, we go and uh, you know they just do the normal checkup and ask me what's up and. Uh, hook me up to the, where the machine, uh, all the machines that monitor your heart rate. I don't know what they're just a regular monitor is called, but uh, you know, you get a couple tabs on you, got the little pulse dealy on your finger. Yep. Um, they hit me with a saline flush, which I think I've had before, but you know, what's really interesting. I, I she's like, yeah, you're going to taste it or maybe smell it. I'm like, huh? And she's like telling me as she's doing it and immediately like my mouth is full of salt. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, she's like, yeah, it happens. Can't explain. And they gave you uh, uh, some Ativan. Yeah, so well, they also hit me with some liquids and then it kept, it was good because the symptoms kept going. So they were able to see it on the monitor. They set me up with the EKG, which is basically just like the next level of heart monitor. So now instead of having like two things attached to you, you've got 10, you know, you sort of have tentacles coming all off of you. And, uh, before they gave me the Ativan, I'm like, but don't, you don't want to do that. Do you? Because it's going to mellow me out. And the symptoms will probably go away. She's like, Nope, no, that won't, it won't do it. So it's just like in, it's like a, in your head. Um, yeah, it just helps chill you out. Chill you out. As you're thinking that you're dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, which was odd because, I'm normally having like a very nervous reaction to the symptoms and to have the symptoms happening and in my head just being like, yeah, whatever, heart <laughs> flutter, no big deal. I know that medication because when my old man was dying, hospice gave us liquid Ativan and liquid morphine to put with an eyedropper into his mouth when he was struggling for air. So I was familiar with that Ativan when he told me that story. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. 
and you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. So, and they diagnose you with something called three things. Um, three possible things. Well, two for sure, one possible. Later, the uh, when I talked to the uh, cardiology um, PA, she said that 
on my EKG report, she didn't actually see the SVT, which is the acronym for supraventricular tachycardia. Uh, but she did see the palpitations and premature atrial contractions. What she also said, which is interesting, which backs up my um, thought earlier, or my hypothesis that I had that it could have just been in my head. She's like, in, in most rooms, 9 out of 10 people have palpitations and premature atrial contractions and just and basically like fluttering or extra beats or missed beats, but they might only happen once a day or once a month or once a year, or they could be just like so slight that the person does never notices it. So she's like, it's quite common, but most people just aren't noticing that it's happening to them. You just, when it happens to you, you just happen to be very uh, acute to that sense and you you know immediately what's going on. It, it wakes you up in the middle of the night. She also thinks that I might have shortness of breath. They kept asking about altitude, you know, which would cause some kind of shortness of breath. Yeah, well, Belize is zero. Belize is zero. That's right. And I live at five. We're only at, you know, six or seven now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, the, we, don't, we don't know exactly what's up. Now, she said that I do not have the SVT, or at least she didn't see that. So she recommends that I go see the cardiologist. So I'm hoping to have an appointment next week in Bozeman. But she, she see she, what's up. She did tell you no more hiking. Oh around. yeah, yeah. I well, was hoping to tell <laughs> here's the weird part. Because the paperwork says that lifestyle changes are a good idea. And it says to exercise. Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> but then they tell Yanni so they give a piece of paper that says exercise, but tell him don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, man, because it's like it, it's it, it's always like that in the hospital. Because you look around, and m- most other people don't look like you. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I'm no like, you know, podium athlete, but I just yeah, like you're not I, like I, Lou I, Ferrigno. Yeah, I, 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 I try to didn't his heart explode or something? <laughs> <laughs> I do my part in trying to keep myself healthy, and. You're very healthy. When you're in the hospital, a lot of times you're surrounded by people that aren't that healthy. Yeah. And, and it was the same thing two nights ago. And so I think this paperwork is sort of written most of the time for the average Because the paperwork's like, what the hell? A little exercise is not, whatever yeah. you're here for, it's not going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to help, you know, help you out to walk around a little bit more or whatever. So, yeah, so the morning hunt is blown. Morning hunt's <laughs> done. Yeah, because we come back and we're sleeping when we should be home. And they've told Yanni now that until he finds out what's actually going on with his heart. Be sure to stay well hydrated, rest, no strenuous activity. So when I was talking to the cardiology uh, gal, the uh, PA, I'm like, what exactly is no strenuous activity? Because we've got this hunt plan. It's going to be, you know, three to four miles, a couple thousand feet, elevation. Carrying the big old buck back down to the backpack. <laughs> Hopefully. Okay. Define strenuous. She's like, pr- probably not, you know, not a good idea. You need to go figure out what it is. So um, we can leave it at this. She thinks that uh, it's most likely benign and that I just have the, the flutter like everybody else has and I just feel it more and most likely a cardiologist is going to give me some sort of a drug that so when I have these sort of episodes, I can take this drug that will basically like like smack my heart and knock it out. Really? Yeah. 
It's like a pill form of a defib- defibrillator. So that's kind of what it sounds like. The, the, I can never, that's one word. And I again, all you doctors and nurses don't need to write in about it. Um, I'm sure I'm not t- saying exactly. I'm, this isn't this isn't verbatim from what she told me, but I, I will uh, we'll, we'll check back in on this. But uh, I'm gonna go get checked out. There's two words I struggle with: superfluous, which I just said that time, but sometimes I can't. That means like more than necessary. And then uh, what's the thing they zap your heart with? Defibrillator. That word is hard for me to say. Um, so the morning hunt is shot. And bagel. You have a hard time with bagel. Yeah, dude. I just avoid it. I say like, <laughs> like you know, uh, you get one of them round <laughs> doughy deals, you know. Yeah. Starts with a B. They, uh, you put cream cheese on them. Um, so you were waffling on your plan at that point. Well, yes, I was because we'd spent so much time on Yanni's little health scare that I didn't know if I really had, I don't know if I had time to get up into the zone. Right. But, and, and I'm into the zone and set camp up or get up in the zone and have like a reasonable a hunt, evening yeah. hunt and then a reasonable morning hunt. And after much vacillation and trying to try, trying to cajole Brody into joining me on my hunt, but it, but it was, it was, I was springing on him a little too soon for him to make proper plans um, with, with family and work issues and all that. So I rush, I finally get pull my shit together enough where I'm like, okay, and rush in and pack up my overnight gear. And Yanni drops me back at the trailhead. And I got my overnight gear and I want to get up in the zone. And I start hiking up. And the whole time I'm following lots of horse tracks overlaid with two sets of boot tracks that were not there the night before. So I'm feeling like enormous amounts of stress that there's a bunch of mugs up in the zone. And I'm assuming like horse hunters are out and boot hunters are out. And I'm like three quarters of the way up to the zone, and I find out who the boots belong to. Is I run into a couple old hippies who are out hiking. Describe. And, I want to hear what t- two old hippies are to you. Describe like them. Bearded dudes, or with like bandanas around their heads, like Willie Nelson. One had a Hawaii-themed baseball hat, uh, blue with palm trees and suns on it and stuff. Like a Hawaii, like a hat that I wouldn't have the personality to support. Mm-hmm. A Hawaii-themed baseball hat and an orange vest. And one had an orange bandana tied around his head with hair, you know, long hair and a beard. Like, are you are you saying that I don't know an old hippie when I see one? No, of course, <laughs> <laughs> of course you do, like, but like, I just get a kick out of it. Like, Because when I say old hippie, I mean that, like, a guy who was in the counterculture right. at the time when being in the counterculture was countercultural. Mm-hmm. So like he was in his twenties and the sixties. Yes. Okay. And that, if you embraced that lifestyle at that time, apparently it's very hard to shake, and you carry with you visual cues into old manness that key me to that, and also you can't shake the lineup of the age. Right. So you were in your teens in the late 60s and these things click and i look and i'm like i don't think you were a big conservative in the late 60s i feel like you were left of center 
in the late 60s and doing drugs. That was my read on these fellas. Were they smiling no. and cheery? <laughs> no, but they were talking real loud. So I was planning, I was hiking up, listening to them up ahead of me and thinking they're hunters. And I'm thinking like, is it, is it okay for me to say that you are B-A-H, bad at hunting? <laughs> and should I said, hey, fellas, just generally keep it down. <laughs> but I get up and it's just two dudes out enjoying, the, the, enjoying being alive in America on a hike. And it was a beautiful afternoon. It was. And he says to me, is it hunting season? And I said, yeah. And he goes, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And he goes, good thing I wore this orange. They said, I got a friend one time, hunted all day, and it wasn't even hunting season. Didn't know until he got home at night. <laughs> then he said, it's good to see someone out hiking without horses. And um, I said, yeah, we do a lot of walking. And the other guy goes, well, even if you do have horses, you still got to hike a lot if you're hunting. And with that, we bid our farewells, and they went down the mountain. Well, it's nice that I mean, I no no negative input whatsoever. Nice no, guys. No, we had a. I'm glad I ran into him. Yeah, glad I ran into him. Just like, just a regular old Colorado hunt. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that um, age hippie because there's like there's newer younger hippies. You know, they might not have been they weren't in their teens in the '60s, but you know who I'm talking yeah. about. But I feel like that um, era of hippie um, is not anti-hunting. No, these were guys that were hunting probably. Because or whose relatives yeah, were or whatever the old kind of that like the old kind of hippie. Now, okay, I have relatives that were hippies, and they lived in teepees and ate porcupines and stuff. They shot with longbows. Yeah, because there was like back to the land. There was like a back to the land element to being a hippie, and also you had, you get a commune, you raise chickens and pigs. Right. Animal the animal rights movement didn't really didn't really take hold till a little bit later you know in pete's with pete singer well yeah we recently learned that it was almost an offshoot of the civil rights civil movement. rights yeah. yeah so yeah I, I don't when i see an old hippie i don't go like oh this guy doesn't like hunting i mean some bitch probably used to as far as i know used to hunt likes to hike wasn't mm-hmm. he's not so avid that he keeps track of when's hunting season or not no but they like the connection to the land yeah, they, they like, like connections. I'd land. rather see those guys than some damn mountain biker or something like that. Hell yeah, <laughs> of course. I'd rather yeah, see those mountain bikers. <laughs> That's Brody Henderson speaking. I love mountain bikers. I'd rather I do too, but I don't no, like seeing would, them on hunting. Trails. I would rather run into non-hunting old hippies on the trail than than dudes who are out pounding the ground with with high end optics, finding all the bucks. Right. Yeah. Sorry, was, mountain bikers. I was relieved <laughs> to find out the last thing I wanted was it turn out to be like two young whippersnappers out there like pounding the ground i'd be like oh man i gotta deal with these guys so are you old you are old enough to call young hunters whippersnappers no no but you know what i'm saying right (laughs) i do just get back to my point all the time i'm behind boot tracks thinking that i need to overtake or whatever that i'm on tainted ground that's already been hunted it was a rage building no i just was real eager to find out i was eager to see when their tracks split from the trail Turns out the tracks lead me to a pair of old hippies who are headed back downhill. So then I'm like a little bit excited because I'm getting up into the zone prime time. But our tracks in the other night have been obliterated by uphill horse travelers. So I'm real worried about these horse guys now. See, that doesn't usually worry me because they're usually going in further than... Yes, that's what I was banking on. And I find that Guys don't do good 
spot and game from horseback. No, there's too much other stuff going there's, on. You're, 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 you're paying attention to other stuff. You got horses. It's an unstable viewing platform, so movement. Just like a guy blasting through on a horse, oftentimes, not, this is not general. I mean, this is not true across the board, but just generally speaking, I think of a guy on a horse as potentially missing game. Well, you, you got to make sure you're going to stay alive on a horse, yeah, which is are rule number one. That's the weird thing I always see. Like, people are paranoid. Like, I always kind of have a little chuckle about people who carry weapons because they're afraid of mountain lions and black bears. But you'll meet guys on a horse who have a pistol, and they're not in grizz country. Like, and I love, I wish Grizzlies lived everywhere. Right. But he, uh, when you see a guy on a horse with a pistol for Grizz and, or for Black Bear and Mountain Lion protection, I'm like, the safest thing for you would be to shoot that horse between the ears. Because what's going to wind up happening is that thing is going to kick you in the head. Or fall maybe, on maybe you. not this year, but next year yeah. or the year after that. Yeah. You're going to get beat. That horse is going to beat you senseless, man. Yep. Horses are dangerous. No, we were hanging out with a guy here. Um, oh, yeah. What was the thing about it? We was, two days ago, met a yeah. guy here and broke five ribs Yeah, on his he horse. was all crippled <laughs> up from <laughs> I love horse. I'm not down. I'm just saying, like, like if I was going to say, like, what's more likely going to injure me in my life, a horse or a lion? Absolutely a horse. So. But now it's getting on towards the good time. Prime right? time. And I get up into the zone. And I get to where we spooked the big box timber box timber box i get to where we spooked them and i didn't realize quite how close that place was and even yanni felt after we spooked us we spooked them but it was dark and no one shot at them and the wind wasn't really in their favor i don't think they spooked spooked they were just surprised. I think we bumped them. Yeah. And Yanni was even saying, I wouldn't be surprised at those bucks. He was steering me. He was steering me to go to that exact and watch the sage flat they were by. I didn't like that plan. But that was, just gives you an idea that Yanni's take on it was that, that buck isn't, he didn't leave the county. Which but you, were all, you also needed to camp somewhere. Yeah, well, I could have slept anywhere. Yeah. But he, Yanni's like, he doesn't, he's like, the buck didn't like, move to Wyoming or something. No. Like He's around. And I get up to the big queen mother, what, I decided, what we're going to call the meadow. And the horse tracks are still going, no sign of any horses anywhere. And they could have been anywhere in, all day long. And I get to the big meadow, and I got maybe 15, 20 minutes of legal shooting light left. And I, and I ponder the idea that I would still hunt the edge and reject that because it just seems a little bit like I'm going to spook game that I might want to be there in the morning. And I pondered the, also, the idea also of going over and looking off the pier and ledge where we watched the guy who took a poke the day before with his rifle, but decide instead to go into a little stand of timber that's kind of like an island out in the middle of the queen mother of all sage meadows. And I'm going to set up there. So I get up to where I'm going to be, and I even make a plan that I'm going to get my tripod out and set my shooting V up on the tripod, and I'm just going to sit for 20 minutes this meadow to see what all is going on. And But I'm getting cold because I got all sweaty climbing up the hill. So I kind of hunker in, and, and for, well, first thing I do is I glass everything around me. There's like nothing there. And I kind of get down, I'm digging around my backpack. I'm going to change my add some layers 
and I even got my pants, my belt's open, my pants are undone, because I'm thinking I'm going to add a couple things and tuck, add a shirt and tuck it into my pants and get all cozy for the evening six. It's getting cold. And I'm in the middle of this, I look up, and all of a sudden now, where nothing was a minute ago, is a very nice, a big old buck, 100 plus yards going directly away from me. He'd come out of this little finger of Aspen's, it was going away from me. And without even fixing my pants, I just raised my rifle and lean it on a tree. And this thing is just walking, walking, walking and showing no sign of like doing anything other than he's grabbing a bite now and then I think of grass. But he's not even kind of turning. He's just going dead away from me. And I think, like, I'm going to have to follow him and try to veer side to get a broadside shot because I wasn't going to take a shot, the going away shot on him. But then I'm like, no, because the minute I step clear of this timber, he's just gone, like, face me or not face me. He's going to just sense my presence. So in a – I don't have buck fever yet, I don't think. But in a panic – you had decided you wanted him, though, right? Yeah, like yeah. nothing you've ever yeah. wanted in your life. Because when I threw my scope up, I knew I could just see the frame. And when I threw my scope up, I could see all these extra points sticking out of the points. And little that usually te- does it for most guys. Little teeny bucks. <laughs> because little, what did you say? Yeah. Little teeny bucks don't have little teeny points sticking out of their points generally. If you see a big frame and it's got little teeny stickers as they say which is a term i do not like extras people call it trash junk junk. but that would mean it's stuff you don't want like you don't want garbage right you get rid of it i want these things badly i've decided to call them gold little golds and i wanted to shoot them real bad so i say to him to the buck i say (laughs) hey and it works like a charm kind of he doesn't spin i'm thinking in a perfect world he's gonna stop spin broadside but what he does is he looks back and turns enough, and this is the point where buck fever happens. I now officially have buck fever because he turns slightly, and I think to myself, oh, you can sneak one in there. Like I got enough exposure where I could sneak one in there. That last rib. And, ouch! And the deer humps up, like, like jumps humped up and kicks like a hard shot that's what i think happened i think you're in the i think i put one in the boiler room because when you hit a deer in the heart it humps up if you hit him too far back he slumps down if you see a deer arch like a cat what's that move in yoga not downward dog but upward it is cat cow cow cat cow if you see a deer do like a yoga move where you uh arch your back up like or like a cat hunches back up fast he's hit good he does a he does a thing that says to me after a lifetime of watching such things occur it says to me that he's hit good and he turns at a 90 degree angle he's like 100 and probably like 170 yards out spins at a 90 degree and starts just hauling ass across me now, broadside. I'm looking at his right side as he's running. And I'm expecting him to tip over. 
and he's not tipping over, and he's not tipping over, and he's going to vanish into an aspen patch. So thinking I've already hit him, and I'm now dealing with a wounded deer, I swing through him. I come from behind him so that my crosshairs and my scope pass through the center of his body, and just like I'm leading the duck, I pass through and touch that trigger at the end of his neck because he's already wounded. And that way, if you're off on your lead, you have a whole lot of room to be off. Yeah. At that point, you're just trying to get more. At that point, just trying to. bullet into him. Yeah. And, bouch! And he just goes down like, like down. Like he's been hitting the spine. Yeah. And I go over there, and sure enough, he's just, like as Brian Callen would say, dead or in a wedge. As Jerry Clower would say, graveyard dead. Just dead dead and he's got a hole in his neck and that thing doesn't have another scratch on him i totally buck fevered my first shot it's weird that he jumped like i wonder why i jumped like not, that. well you were there you skinned him i know there is I not know. a scratch on that deer maybe he felt the the, the breeze I don't of the know bullet what it was i don't know i would have never like well maybe he jumped out of the way of the bullet Yes. He felt the bullet coming. He he could be that. He could be, like, there's a certain bigness and oldness that Buck gets where not only does he know to run away when to run and when to sneak, but he also knows when to jump out of the way of bullets. I never would, in a million years, I would never have taken a full-on run shot at a Buck. It's just not something I would do. I'd do it on a wild pig, but I wouldn't do it on, like, a... A, a, a cherished animal that anyone, right? Because the chances of you getting a bad hit are so high. But if you've already wounded it and you got to go find it anyways, you got it's nothing like, to lose. Yeah, it's like you don't then, you don't have like ethical, like, you don't like, like pursuing wounded game, you don't talk about like ethical shots. It's, right. you know, once it's wounded, that, that stuff's all out the window. Now it's just get it dead. So I don't even deserve the buck. I don't know about that. Yeah, it's a little harsh. So, I go over there and there he is dead. And there's no cell phone signal anywhere. I don't have a vehicle because I got dropped off. But you've got a beautiful sage flat to camp in. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, got the deer. And then there's something in you that always wants you to drag. There's some part of you that always wants to drag shit over to a tree. Like psychologically. Gutted him out. <laughs> drug him over to a tree. And I didn't want to leave them there overnight because I thought coyotes would get them. There's a lot of coyote tracks around there. So I kick, I weigh all this out in my head. And in the end, and I know that Brody's coming up. Brody had made a plan to meet me up there around 8 a.m. for the day's hunt. So I just make a fire, cook some house, then go to sleep like ridiculously early. Like 6.45 or something like that. Because yeah. that was just like dark. An hour gotta, after dark, yeah. And I don't want to leave my deer to get eaten. So I just set my tent like literally like next. Like if I rolled up to like, if like, it'd be like, I could like spoon the deer through the tent wall. And to just kind of want nothing getting at him. Set my alarm for 3.45 a.m. Wake up at 3.45 a.m. Make a cup of via. And run down and actually catch Brody. 10 feet from his truck heading up the trail. Six o'clock in the morning, yeah. We have a cup of hot cocoa. You surprised? Brody. 
Who's that guy with the headlight? Yeah, because I got up so early, I knew I'd make it back way before it got daylight. Yeah. Have a cup of hot cocoa and go back up. And here's the thing. We get back up there, and it's nothing but dudes. Oh, we were surrounded. Like, how? I don't understand. And all down in the canton, my beloved Aspen Canyon. I think they were actually below the, like, they were where it opened up, but yeah, same canyon, just down lower. It is just like, it, it reminded me of hunting at Doug Dern's on opening day in Wisconsin. Uh, the, we heard at least a box of ammo. Bouch, bouch. Bouch. And no one shoots once. No, it was three or four or five at a time. Volleys of shots. And there's three dudes perched up magically who like somehow weren't there the night before there's three dudes perched up on the big magic meadow yep they must have been having a deer drive down Dude, i, I have, heard i like i heard one boom thwap yeah you could hear the pumpkin yeah. strike but even that guy did a volley yeah but then he just shot some more just out of just yeah. the joy of the general trigger happiness of yeah, Being I thought American, those guys like herding elk back onto the private or something. For a while, they were shooting so much. Brody even threw that idea out. Really? So there's three guys observing the meadow. Two are kind of together, and one's off on the other yeah, side and, of the meadow. And, and, I just want to explain, too, if it sounds like weird to maybe if you're an Eastern <laughs> listener, that we're like so like upset about all these shots, because if you're, like, if you're a dude from the other side of the Mississippi... You're like, yeah, it's like opening day or opening two days. It's like you hear shooting all yeah. the time in the whitetail deer woods. Out west in the, in the greater expanses, it's just simply not like that. The shooting was so voluminous. Can I use that here? That there's so much shooting going on down there that eventually we get to where the deer's all butchered out, except for just skin in the head, and Brody has the just out of curiosity wander over to get to the edge of the canyon to see what's going on down there all the cracking and blouching yeah and i sat up and so we got all the meat like the meat's all done all the meats well we kept so we had the four legs whole took the back straps off boneless took the tenderloins off just as tenderloins Sawed the rib cages. Sawed the rib cage off. So we just hauled out whole rib slabs. Necros. Took one of the neck we could because I'd, you know, done a number on the, the, the neck. And then I was skinning the head out. And you know what I was thinking about today is like I used to take a, a multi-tool. Like when you're skinning a deer's head out, it's hard to skin around the base of the antler. Is that getting us? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a truck, no big deal. So when you're skinning... Yeah, the pedestal. Yeah, when you're skinning around the pedestal, it's a, it's a bastard. I used to take a, a multi-tool screwdriver and pry it off there. But on that, now I used to, now, like, for my skinning knife, I use, like, a really... And I see you, like, you, you, use, you use a version of this, too. A really, like, stout, short... Yeah. The blade. That Hidden Canyon Benchmade is like my new favorite knife. See, mine's like a little bit different it's than that. It's a shorty. You yeah, have, yours is like a shorty. Yeah. Like you could stab a dude with yours and he'd be like, man, <laughs> what's you that for? Like a very short blade, but it's like yeah. nice, man. Yeah, and it's stout, like you said. Yeah, and you I got... You can pry, you know, ball joints and stuff. Exactly, yeah. and mine's a little bit longer. It's called a steep country. What I like because yep. it's got a blaze orange handle on it. 
which helps because when you go in deer, you spend yeah. half time trying to find Things your Things get lost all the Every time. Every time you like get a leg free, and then you go to like take care of the leg and hang it in a tree, and you come back, like, where's my knife? Everybody looks for your knife for a while. So it like cuts that down a little right. by having a blaze arch handle on it. But with that thing, that short, stout, fat, stiff blade, I can just smoke that hide off those yeah. antler bases yeah. without ruining the blade. And you can still pry a little without worrying about like just blowing your edge right off the exactly neck. you can kind of like you don't want to like get scraping it against but it's just like a more it's yeah. a sturdier hardier yeah blade yep i like that thing a lot that that's my like kind of like favorite of, of of the knives they make but then uh cut his tongue out skinned him you got back we popped the eyeballs i had popped one eyeball yeah. popped the second eyeball um yeah, then we pop the lower draw. I told you about the 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 Sika deer I killed right. that was missing an eye. Got poked by an antler. And Brody asked the same question everyone asks. Was <laughs> his side was, was his <laughs> dead eye facing you? And I point out, no, I was dealing with his live eye. <laughs> I was not getting an unfair advantage. Yep. Um and that was it for chopping that deer up. As we're finally getting done skinning and loading our packs. Here comes it looks like a western movie. Oh yeah, man. A string. In blaze orange. The Here comes string. like seven horsemen in a pack string come by. Don't even give me and Brody the time of day. No. One little buck on a saddle. Six or seven six hunters. Well yeah, no shit they didn't give you the time of the day. You guys are the assholes in the middle of the magic meadow at daylight with a campfire. But I <laughs> they they were coming through like they were coming through like mid morning, and I get the feeling they had probably packed camp up early morning. Like they were way, like they were. You want to know what my theory that. is? Well, you you're going to say this. What? Or, go ahead and say what you're going to say. No, I I just think they'd gotten up or like I think they were way in past hunting past where we were. Mm. No, you know what my theory is. We'll never know. We I will. think they were on the other side of the meadow i think they were no no i think they're camped up somewhere and i think maybe they packed up and rode down and on the way down decided to do a morning hunt slow by slow, the meadow the slow roll yeah yeah it doesn't totally make sense but i could you could have i mean there was yeah seven or eight hunters that, i gotta say though man if they were rocking like full canvas wall tents that you'd have to almost be packing all night long to pull that off for the morning. Didn't look like they were well like that's a, that's No, a, it didn't no. look like they were geared up like that. You, when you guys were kids, did they call other tents? You had wall tents and pup tents. Pup tents, I remember. Yeah, pup tents were what we call backpacking tents. Now. Yeah. I don't know why I thought Dome-shaped. Yeah, th- I feel like they were, I feel that they were hunting like... Yeah. So then we just uh, moseyed down. Yep. Mosey down the mountain with my big old giant Found buck. a couple horseshoes hey, on dude, the way I'm, down. Yeah, found horseshoes. But you know, yeah, Brody kept a lucky horseshoe. And I'm like, you always be able to point to that horseshoe and be like, I tell you who didn't get a buck. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> <laughs> the guy riding them horses. But dude, I'm on like a mule deer streak. You are. Is that three years in a row? Yeah, nice buck. I'm just glad because I remember like before last year, so you killed a big buck in Colorado last year. But before that, you were kind of down on Colorado. Dude, way down. You had a I bad experience. Because all I knew about was the parts about weird land, land ownership and tons of mugs. I didn't know about the part about big giant bucks everywhere. <laughs> now I'm like, Joe, Colorado. I'm going to get a Colorado hat. I'm yeah. going to get an orange cowboy hat that says in big, bold letters, like, I heart Colorado yeah, on it. You should. 
Dude, I'm a Colorado man. Yeah. I but I think that, you know, you, some people don't hunt here because of the, the mugs. And, and that's a, you know. Yeah, like, that's fair. Yeah. I have friends that are like, look, man, yeah, I know you guys are, you know, killing bucks there. Other people do. I just don't want to deal with that stress of hunting big bucks during an open elk season. Yeah. Like, and let, I mean, to be fair, like the night you killed the buck, you didn't see a soul, you know? That's the thing. Yeah. It was like I was, it was like I'd flown into, it's like I'd flown in in Alaska. And last year we didn't have a bunch of dudes on top of us. Like if you walk here, well, because you gonna... had, because you got a lot of hidey holes. Yeah. But here's the thing I hunt all kinds of places. I hunt places where you couldn't find someone if you had to. Right. Okay. So like we hunt areas in Alaska where you fly in and a pilot drops you off. And if you needed to find help, you can't. Or even Prince of Wales, you're not going to see anybody there. You know, and I hunt places where it's tons of mugs, but they can't—they're not really messing with you because you're like you're on Doug's farm, and yeah, and you know all the neighbors, and they're all hunting. But it's like it's civic, you know, and you kind of yeah. like you got like you tell Doug like, "Well, I want to go there," and Doug's like, "Well, I think you should go there," and then you go there, and you know that you have your little spot, right? And if you yeah. stay in your spot, you're fine, and there's people around. So there's there's all these extremes. This is just another yeah, it's just a, a, a version. Like hunting comes in many forms. The hunting pressure comes in many forms. Yeah. It's just like another kind of hunting pressure. And I, I think here it's, you know, a, a large part of it is being able to buy over-the-counter bull tags in second and third season. Like there's just going to be a lot of, especially non-resident hunters that are coming just, you know, it's easy for them to get a tag. Yeah. So if it was that if you're hunting elk, you have to have on an orange cowboy hat. I think they should wear yellow and we should wear orange. Just so you know. Or something. But I'm telling you, man, I'm fired up. What do yeah. you do if you have both? Like, I like to roll in a lot of times with the OTC bull tag and my buck Then you got to wear an orange striped cowboy hat with a yellow stripe <laughs> tied around the hat band. Maybe a big old feather. If you want to see my huge buck, um, we'll put it up on the show notes. Lots of meat on a buck like that. Yeah, a big meat buck. Big. That's what we were talking about today. Because someone's like, oh, you know, it's terrible. The bigger the antlers, the more the meat. Because it's terrible that you'd go out and try to find a big, huge buck when it's all about the meat. But I, we were observing today that um, the best way to tell if he's got a ton of meat is to look for big, huge antlers. <laughs> <Yeah>. Dark ones <laughs> with extra bling. Because then you know that he's going to be the size of a cow elk. Yeah, I mean, 300 pounds easily. So if I see a big frame with lots of little stickers sticking out of it. I'm like, that is one meaty rascal. That's a big backstrap and a fatty ham. Mm-hmm. Big yeah. package. And for those of you out there saying that we don't know what we're talking about, those stinky old ruddy bucks can't be eaten. You gotta grind the whole thing. Or if that's what someone told you, all I can say is learn how to cook. Yeah. Learn how to take care of your meat. We Pepsi challenged last year. We Pepsi challenged a, a year and a half old meat buck with a big buck. It's like, it, it's, it's such, if you get a buck. But I think not only that, but you could Pepsi challenge it with an elk or yeah. a whitetail yeah. or whatever. Yeah, this whole like the, sagey freaking, I'm blah, blah, such sagey bullshit. gamey, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If you take that buck and when you're stripping the hide off that buck and you find he's got an inch of fat laid out over his rump. He's in good shape. It's like that deer's in good shape and it's going to be good meat. Yeah. It is the best meat. My wife rarely will flag meat. I could cook like, a played out house cat. My wife's not going to like flag it. Yeah. She 
has flagged moose as being like something's peculiar like it's something about moose she doesn't like right every time i serve like big huge muley buck meat to her she'll comment she usually doesn't comment at all she just eats whatever we make she'll comment on moose as being like something's weird about it it doesn't like click with her when i cook like big old buck meat my wife saw i was like god this is good yeah it's just freaking good but and i've shot bull elk in like mid-november and had him like there's just something a little you know a little tough a little off about them that time of year so it's you know and elk's arguably the best but yeah I, yeah elk has that reputation of being the best and they don't make a bad tasting elk right you can get tough elk yeah but there's no bad tasting yeah. elk i had a buck the worst piece of wild meat i ever ate was from a muley buck but circumstances things. circumstances he slid down the mountain on the snow and landed in a sinkhole and boiled in the sinkhole and we couldn't get him out of the sinkhole till way later got him out of the sinkhole and he was in like like very insulated in a little dirt coffin at the bottom of a you know 15 and maybe feet. he was alive when he went into the sinkhole. well yes I, I know that he was yeah and here's what happened so it was like unbelievably cold. I shot a buck. He slid down the mountain, and I go to try to find him. I can't find him anywhere. Then I realized it was like a size. Of, like he fell into a sinkhole the size of a manhole cover. It was kind of hourglass shaped, and I could see down in there. I could see that he was moving a little bit, and so I blouched down in there. And the shock wave of the sound came back and hit my ears so bad. Now my ears <laughs> are freaking ringing, man. And we're camped down valley from there, and now it's pitch black. I think I got him. Go down. We come up the next day with some ropes and stuff that we peeled off our canoes, like the bow lines of our canoes, and tied them together. My buddy held my ankles and lowered me down in the sinkhole. And I was able to get a, a, a lasso around his antler. And then we all got on the rope and dragged the deer up out of the hole and drug up what it looked like if you had... Uh, It looked like if you pulled Bob Hope up in his latest years. Like, this dude was like. Covered in mud. Just, but like, <laughs> frail. And his muzzle was just gray, gray, gray. And he had the rack when, you know, you get a big rack and then your rack shrinks. And yeah. it's like different than a, like a rack, a, a deer's antlers on his way downhill in life are different than on his way uphill. So he could be at the same mat, he could be at the same measurements, but just there's a different quality they're like softer like they like softer edges yeah it's like a like, different yeah. like his like his he was getting too old he was still throwing racks off but they were like bad yeah old man racks emaciated and gray muzzled so he was old and he'd been in the sinkhole all night insulated with his guts in him when we started butchering that deer me and my brother were butchering that deer, and it's the, the meat smelled bad. And then we started to think that it was getting in our heads, and it wasn't the meat, but it was just like like other that it was that the flavor is just like something about the smell of the meat was messing with us. I remember it got so bad at one point that we got we couldn't tell if we were like really smelling it or not, and we thought that everything just smelled and couldn't tell if like actual part what cuts actually smelled. It got to the point where we were heating up butter in a pan. And one of us went outside to wait outside in fresh air. The other <laughs> one of us cooked a piece of backstrap in a pan in butter, floated it in butter, cooked it, and took it to the outside person who's now been in a clean atmosphere. 
that person would eat that buck meat and be like, that buck meat is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only By the way, this buck was in good shape. No, that was the only bad buck meat I've encountered. It happened to come off a mule deer under extreme circumstances. So, yes, if you shoot a buck and then let it rot in the back of your truck. Yeah. And then say that mule deer tastes like X, Y, or Z. Okay, yeah, don't yeah. gut it for, you know, a couple extra few hours because pictures are more important. You know, cripple it up so it's better. Drive runner. it to a spot where you can get a good picture. Cripple it up so it, like, runs for 45 minutes before you find it. Yeah. Then dink around. Don't get the guts out of it. Drive it somewhere else to take a nice picture of it. Hot sun. Sure. Going to have to grind it all into sausage. All right, thanks for joining. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacova's store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. <laughs> 